Welcome to We Are, You Are, the podcast for robot developers, engineers, and anybody who is interested in robotics. Hosted by the Unlimited Robotics Team. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of We Are, You Are, the podcast for makers, robot developers, and anyone who is interested in robotics. Today, we have an interesting guest, Professor Brad Nelson. Hello, Brad. How are you? Hello, Guy. Very, I'm very well. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much for participating in our podcast. For those of you who do not know Brad, let me give you a quick overview about Professor Nelson. So Professor Nelson received mechanical engineering degrees from the University of Illinois and University of Minnesota, and also has a PhD in robotics uh, from Carnegie Mellon University. He has been a faculty member of the University of Minnesota and University of Illinois of Chicago, has worked at Motorola, Honeywell, and has served as a United States Peace Corps volunteer in Botswana, Africa. He has been the professor of robotics and intelligence system at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology since 2002. An interesting guest we have today, and today we're going to talk with Professor Nelson about nanorobotics and microrobotics. So, Brett, can you give a quick overview to those who are not familiar with the term nanorobotics, microrobotics? What is it? So uh, micro and nanorobotics uh, really cover two areas. Uh, of course, the difference between micro and nano or size. Uh, micro robots tend to be uh, a micro robotics tends to operate in, in ranges from a millimeter to a micron. So uh, um, that's uh, a millionth of a meter as a micron. Um, and then nanometers, nanorobotics is, is, is anything below that. Uh, so, so the whole area is, it can, can focus on two things. One is on, on how do you handle small things at, at small scales? So it's micro manipulation, nano manipulation, the tools we build to go underneath uh, underneath that. And, and this field really got started in, in around 1995. There started to be more and more interest in it, in that. And then, and then um, around uh, the early 2000s, 2002, 2003, a few groups got interested in how to really make small intelligent machines. So it's, it's how, do you, how do you manipulate, how do you handle small objects uh, robotically, but also how do you make small intelligent uh, micro robots and nano robots? Wow, super interesting. And what would be the challenges or specific challenges in those sub-industries of robotics in compared to the, let's call them a standard challenge that any robot developer has on a daily basis? Sure. Well, for uh, I'm, I'm going to spend most of my time talking about micro and nano robots because the, the, those are kind of the, the, the cool thing these days. Uh, um, so, so the first challenge is, you know, how do you fabricate? How do you make something that small, something that's smaller than millimeter and going all the way down to nanometers in scale? Um, and so the, the kinds of processes we use to make them are, are, are based on, on semiconductor processes, the same processes we use to make computer chips, computer memory, and those kinds of things. So a lot of the, the processing is, is, is derived from that, although then we've developed some of our some new technologies along the way, like direct laser writing, where you can actually write uh, with you know micron precision uh, to create these tiny little features. Um, there's also a lot of chemistry involved. So I work very closely with a chemist uh, in in our, our group, Professor Pon Professor Salvador Pani, who's who's a co-director of my lab. So 
I'm a mechanical engineer, he's a chemist, and we come together in that way. So the, the challenge is how to fabricate, how do you make these things? Uh, the other thing is how to, how to power them. How do you get energy into them? They're very, very small. They can't carry much energy. Um, so usually people uh, use external energy sources. We use magnetic fields primarily. People, other, other people have used ultrasound uh, to deliver energy to them or uh, light, um, some kind of chemical power as well people have used. Um, that's uh, one of the challenges. The other challenge is how do you see the things? Uh, uh, you know, so you use microscopes, you use uh, electron microscopes, uh, but in the body, a lot of the applications are in, in medicine or in, in, that we're looking at and, and doing these in vivo or in, 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 uh, in tissue. And so then you, you have the challenge of having to use uh, x-rays to, to look through the body to see them or ultrasound. People also use ultrasound. Um, and sometimes if you're near, just you can create if you're near the surface of the body, you can actually uh, have them uh, emit some kinds of um, um, long wavelength, you know, inf near infrared light. And so you can actually track them that way as well. So those are, you know, uh, fabricating them. How do you power them? How do you, how do you see and track them, um, moving them around with magnetic fields? And, uh, uh, and then the big, big challenge is uh, what are you going to do with them? How are they going to be useful? So. So that's a, a very interesting follow-up question. Uh, in what kind of industries do you expect them to evolve? You mentioned the medical industry, obviously a very big and important industry to develop micro and nano robots, but do you see other industries as well? And if not, in which sub-industries inside the medical industry do you see the nano and micro robots get a main stake, I mean, in the future? Yeah. Well, yeah, as you say, I think I think the the first uh, application, the, the the clearest application, is in healthcare, using them to deliver drugs or or to ablate tissue or something like that. Um, <clears throat> but there are other other um, areas um, people have considered uh, for for these small devices. Uh, one is in in cleaning water. Um, clean, you know, uh, there's been work out of out of. Uh, um, Joe Wong's lab on trying to collect oil droplets with these with these things in water. Um, we had a situation several years ago where we were developing materials for delivering. We were trying to deliver drugs. We're using these special materials. Salvador Pani was uh, experimenting with called um, multiferroics, and uh, the idea was to they're, they're a kind of material that can transform between electrical, mechanical, and light energy. And so we thought, oh, we can use these perhaps to you know if we attached uh, drug drug molecules to them, then but with mechanical energy with magnetic energy, we might be able to get the drug to release so we could control the release of that. And we were surprised to find that the drug was disappearing on us, um, uh, which is exactly what we didn't want it to do. And, and so then what we understood and what, what Salvador and, and Fajr Mushtaq, his, his uh, PhD student worked, working on it, what, they, what they're realizing was they were actually breaking down these drugs. They were catalyzing them and then all of a sudden realized this is a, a potential way we can get rid of all these micropollutants that we have in our water. So there's a big push now in the future to uh, make our water even cleaner. There's a lot of things like hormones and pesticides and these small molecules that are not good for, for our health or for the uh, uh, biosystems. Uh, and uh, um, they're very, very difficult to remove from the water. In fact, most places they're not currently removed. If, and if you do, there's a couple of, of technologies that are um, energy intensive um, and, and have their own environmental issues. Uh, 
Um, and so we've been, we, uh, Fajr and, and Salvador and, and I created a company called uh, Oxile and that company, that spinoff company is, is trying to develop this technology for helping clean, clean waterways. We're working here in Switzerland, but there's also interests all around the world um, uh, for this kind of technology. So, so we think uh, some of the technologies can go into environmental um, applications as well. So you mentioned you did a spin-off spin company. Now that brings out the question that why do you want to do this if it's so unbelievably hard, at least sound to me as unbelievably hard. Yeah, yeah, it is hard. Uh, it's a challenge. Um, so there's a couple of reasons. So one is, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer and, and ultimately I want, I want to see my technology out in the real world, really helping society. It's, it's, it's great to do research. It's great to publish papers and to work in the research community. But, you know, as, as I get further in my career, the real joy uh, is, is seeing your technology put to use in the real world. And uh, so sometimes you have to spin off a company to try to, 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 um, to push that. And, and we, our first company was a company called Femto Tools that we spun off in 2007. And now they sell uh, 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 basically materials testing equipment based on some of the micro robotic technology we started developing back in 1998 was when we started. And eventually that turned into this company in 2007. And now that's a, a, a we consider a successful company that um, um, is, is uh, um, active in, in its particular uh, market segment. Um, but, but when you get into the medical side, particularly with micro robots, uh, at some point you need to go through medical regulations the medical device regulations. And to do that, you really need a company. Um, you need a company that's going to sell the product that has to control the quality. So you have to have put a quality management system. And so there's a whole, a whole uh, uh, way that you need to, a whole process that you need to go through. Uh, to get this out there. And so to take our micro robots and all the associated technology that goes, goes with that um, and to translate that into uh, you know, medical therapies that are gonna be put in patients, uh, you really, really need to, to found a company um, and set up all of the regulatory um, structure and framework, uh, manufacturing and all that so that you can um, actually start doing, uh, you know, therapies in patients. So it's, uh, it's, it's very hard, but it, uh, you know, if it was, if, if it was easy, everybody do it. And, uh, uh, you know, I've got a great team and they're uh, all enthusiastic to try to, to try to see these things happen. Interesting. Another question with your permission, you mentioned the size as, as some kind of a limitation in terms of it, it looks, it's obviously at the size of a microprocessor or something like that. You see in the future autonomous micro robots or somebody, some kind of an operator, whether it will be a bigger robot or a human being, will always have to activate and operate those. Well, I guess the, uh, <clears throat> the ultimate goal in all this would be, yeah, to have uh, autonomous micro robots that were smart enough uh, to figure out where they needed to go. Say you're treating uh, a, a tumor or, or a, a blood clot in your brain, smart enough to figure out where that is, go there and then deliver the enzyme to try to break up the blood clot or the drug to try to kill the cancer cells. Um, and, and we, you know, we think about that, that's a, a very much a research topic, uh, how to get there. But in the, in the near term, clearly, the way this is going to work and the way we're working is, is we, we develop um, uh, little catheters and endoscopes that can go in your veins or in your gastrointestinal tract. 
um, and get deep into your body. And then those release the small, smaller devices uh, where your catheter <clears throat> or your endoscope can't reach. And those then we, we control magnetically to go to the location of uh, you know, the thrombosis uh, or uh, the blood clot you have or, or, some, or, or that. So it's, you know, there, it's, it's kind of a step-by-step -step process where we, we, we have a, a, a larger system, that, uh, kind of robotically controlled system that's always guided by a surgeon who's, who's controlling that and controls that and then, um, and then triggers the release of these devices, which, which then go further and deeper into the body to try to, to, try to reach the source of, of the disease. So in what kind of a way does this micro robot communicate with, let's say, the server or the, the processor that actually pros process the information that it gets from this micro robot? Yeah, so, so our micro robots primarily are seen with x-rays, so fluoroscopy. So the, all the procedures we do are done under, under x-rays. And in fact, that's uh, one of the advantages. So the, and then they're controlled automatically. You know, uh, in 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 a lot of hospitals, in 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 particularly in some of the really large hospitals we go to, like in China, um, they're doing you know thousands and thousands and thousands of these procedures uh, a year in there, and um, it's dangerous for the surgeons to be standing right next to the patient, exposed to X-rays all day long. And so, uh, one of the advantages of our system is that you can actually remotely control these from outside of the of the operating room and protect the the surgeon from X-ray radiation. So that's, you know, that's one of the selling points is is uh, is is being able to see these and control them uh, with X-rays. We've also worked with ultrasound and using uh, ultrasound probes so that you can image them that way. Um, and in some years ago, six or seven years ago now, we actually were able to. Um, we injected uh, about 80,000 of our little devices um, in, into a mouse and were able to see them as they fluoresced. They, they fluoresced in a, a near-infrared wavelength. And, and so we could see that with a, with a microscope in the body wow. uh, um, and then track it and move it around within the mouse body. So that was, that's another way to do it. Wow. Wow. Sounds amazing. Let me ask you, um, in most of... In most of our conversation, we discussed about life-saving products in the field of medical. But I do see some organizations, let's call it, using micro and nano robots for, let's say, not for life-saving purposes, or to be honest, for wars, terrorism, uh, life-threatening events. What would you say, let's talk about ethics, is there should be some kind of restrictions, limitations, uh, guidelines, ethic guidelines, while using those specific micro and nano robots, not for the purpose for which I believe they were designed, which are life-saving events. Yeah, well, so so uh, ethical considerations for us are primarily on the medical side, and and that's just to make sure these you know we follow all the medical device regulations that are applicable. You know that these are uh, you know non-toxic. They're not going to hurt. The, you know that the materials. That's 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 a huge constraint uh, on on this field is is choosing the right materials uh, that that aren't going to um, uh, cause harm to the body. I mean, you can you can do a lot of really cool work with uh, with toxic magnetic materials, but you know you're, they're never going to get in the body. So we don't go down that path. But if there were you know, um, you know, other other nefarious uses for them, like you know, uh, taking over, you know, somebody's thought processes and stuff like that. I've had those questions from uh, um, uh, 
some kinds of you know journalists in the past. Uh, you know, I, 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 it's so far out. I, I don't worry about it. I, I was uh, many years ago on a state in the U.S. State Department uh, and got invited to a meeting looking at future threats. Of, uh, and um, I think they 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 just were asking me about nanorobots. And and as soon as they saw the the huge systems that it took in order to control them, so these are the huge electromagnetic navigation systems that are beaming the energy. And as soon as they saw that, they were like, ah. I don't think I'm too worried, uh, you know, that they're going to be used uh, uh, to, uh, you know, for some nefarious purpose. Uh, you know, it's it, it, the, the thing is, what we develop is, it, you, I guess, you could create some kind of poison or something like that. But that's that's about uh, that's that's not out of the ordinary, I think, for 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 what people are thinking about. I guess I remember at this at this particular uh, meeting, I, what what everybody locked onto the threat was was this at the time, drones were just starting to become commonplace and and you know companies were just starting to sell them and that's where i think the the big uh, uh sort of security threats that, that they focused on at that time were so we weren't we weren't on their radar screen i don't think we still are on the radar screen for for any serious global threats okay uh and one question from the audience let's say i listen to we are you are podcast and i'm a robot developer i'm a maker and i'm very interested in the field of nano and micro robotics is there a specific uh, career path I should take some specific uh, knowledge base that should be aware of in order to be specialized in this field or the common standard practice of going through the entire route of, of developing robotics? Well, uh, so so micro and robotics is a very multidisciplinary field, uh, more so than maybe traditional robots, because uh, the material side of it is so important in fabrication. Um, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer by heart. Uh, I like robots and controls and programming and sensors and cameras and all the stuff that, uh, you know, are in real robots. Um, but then when I started working in this field, I realized I needed to come up to speed on, on the material side and fabrication. And so I, I took a lot of uh, special courses on learning how to do uh, MEMS, microelectromechanical system fabrication. Um, and then uh, I just started working more closely with, with real chemists uh, who, who really understand this field. And that's why, why uh, Salvador is uh, you know, just, just right next door to me. We work very closely because he does that side. And then I do more of the robot control side. But you got to know, I, I think you want to know a little about both. Um, so I, you know, I think any discipline, you know, you can, uh, any of the, 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 the relevant disciplines, you can, you can um, come up through mechanical, electrical engineering, computer science. Uh, you want to get a little materials. You have to you know some biology as well. Um, um, and I think you know it's an evolving field and it's a very new field and we're still trying to define what it is. But uh, I think uh, I think it's it's uh, uh, like I said, uh, relatively broad and and uh, more more materials and biology focused than most area of robotics. Okay. And last question, because we appreciate your time and you already invested us more than we expected. So thank you for that. We noticed that uh, your educational career started in the US, but now you're in Switzerland. So what is what was attractive in Switzerland and specifically in the lab that you're heading that uh, made you make the entire move from the US to Europe? And, and what are the special and most interesting projects that you are working on or in, would like to share, obviously, and are watching and are not necessarily yours? 
Sure, sure. Well, uh, so um, I was a professor at, at the University of Minnesota um, back in, uh, started in 1998 to 2002. And I, I, I uh, uh, knew that there was an open position here in robotics that the, the 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 one robotics professor at ETH Zurich or the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology Zurich I I, I knew it was open but I never dreamed uh, of applying for it uh, but I got an email um, and they said uh, this is open we think th somebody from ETH had been through my lab in Minnesota and they had come back and evidently talked about what we were doing and and so they sent an email to me and said you know this we think you you you, uh, you might be a uh, a good candidate to want you come out and, and take a look and uh, you know I talked to my wife uh, you know famous last words it never hurts to send a CV uh, I came out as a beautiful day in June the mountains were out I could see the Alps and you come here Zurich's a, a beautiful city and uh, um, and I realized what an international university this was uh, great facilities uh, I got to see what what really strong students there there were here um, and, and ETH is a, is a university, you know, each professor here is, is a, has a chaired position. So you're able to, you know, uh, support uh, with, with federal funding here, uh, a small group, uh, around eight to 10 people, um, just to focus on whatever problem you want. So you can actually, what it, what it allows me to do is to think very long-term about the future of my field. And this is back in 2002 when I got here. And, and we had decided then, I remember early, in fact, I can remember when, when we decided to go down this path, it was February, 2003, decided, you know, what I really wanna do is build a small intelligent micro robots. And that's what we've been doing here. Um, and it's just, it's a great infrastructure here. There's fantastic people here. I think the first week I was on the job, uh, Kurt Wittwick won the Nobel prize from ETH. So that was a big deal. And, uh, you know, we were, uh, it's, uh, 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 yeah, so it's 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 a great place to be uh, to be a professor to to, to build a lab here, um, um, and Switzerland's a wonderful, beautiful country to live in. Um, uh, so we've uh, been here for for quite a while, and um, uh, you know, and but the the real joy is is being able to attract such strong students and, and researchers here. So. Uh, um, yeah, that's uh, so that's how I ended up here and. Um, I don't see myself going anywhere for a while, I think, so. Lucky you. <laughs> Lucky you. Professor Brad Nelson, thank you so much for participating in our podcast and this episode. It was fascinating. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, guys.